Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Element Group is a full-service advisory firm for the digital asset capital markets. Element delivers crypto economics, financing, and strategy advisory services for the industry's leading projects. To learn more about Element and receive exclusive research on digital assets, visit www.elementgroup.com slash unconfirmed. I'm recording today from Token Summit, and my guest is Mike Novogratz, founder and CEO of Galaxy Digital Capital Management. Welcome, Mike. Laura, it's fun to be here. Just a note for our listeners before we begin, I cannot ask Mike about Galaxy's certain Galaxy business lines or its future public offering in Canada, among other topics, but there's plenty to discuss otherwise. Mike, you recently launched the Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index, a co-branded index with Bloomberg that tracks the performance of 10 USD-traded cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, Monero, XRP, and Zcash. What was your goal in creating this index? So part of what I thought my uh, contribution to the whole crypto community could be when I first started was a, a bridge between the institutional world and this kind of fun and crazy crypto world. Uh, when we started Galaxy, part of that our mission was to be that, to be this link. And when I look at institutional architecture, what is it going to take to bring pension funds and the big money into crypto? An index that people can trust, uh, that is a, that's a kind of a validator for the space was an important piece. And so, you know, Bloomberg's got 350 people in their index group. Uh, they take monitoring, creating, and, and upkeeping these indexes stone cold seriously. Um, and so we're hoping it becomes the first kind of benchmark where hedge funds, you know, benchmark their performance against where, you know, it's like the S&P 500. I look back at when the S&P 500 was launched in 1962. What stock prices did for the next 25 years was pretty spectacular. Uh, in 1973, the Lehman Ag, you know, the fixed income benchmark index was launched and fixed income had one of the heroic runs of all time and maybe more poignantly because you know stocks and bonds were already asset classes in 1992 i was working at goldman sachs and goldman launched the goldman sachs commodity index and at that point commodities weren't an asset class for institutional investors you know there were plenty of speculators in commodities just like there's speculators in crypto but the state of wisconsin wasn't buying big swaps on the commodity prices and if you look at what happened to commodity prices between 1992 and 2008, when they finally popped, uh, it's a straight line up. And so we're hoping that, you know, this year, next year, this is part of what's necessary to bring big money into crypto. And to me, it's really important to bring big money into crypto. Like we had this beautiful people's revolution. And if you think about it, this speculative mania that was 99%, 98% retail fueled. That probably popped last January, December, January, with Bitcoin at 19,000 and Ether at 1,300 and the frenzy you saw. That got market cap to call it a trillion dollars, a little more than a trillion dollars. 
that's not enough to reshape the world. Right. You know, heck, we got the, the Internet got to six trillion in 1999. And that was just the U.S. Internet and not a global speculative, you know, Web 3.0. And so I think it's important that real money, big money shows up in the space. And so I see it happening. It's not happening overnight. And this is supposed to be part of it. Long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's great. Well, one thing I wanted to ask was, how did you guys decide on the weightings? So we didn't, you know, which is interesting. I mean, we, we consulted with the Bloomberg team and, and, you know, kind of pitched the idea originally. And uh, But what I thought was important is that it's their index. You know, we're, we're, we're partnership, but in terms of deciding on weightings, deciding what names get in there and what exchanges, they have a whole thorough process to do it. We did suggest, and they agreed, capping the top names 30%. So if it doesn't become just a Bitcoin index, uh, and that gives a little more juice to the uh, the rest of the names. And so that I thought was important. It's got 10 names in now. It'll cap at 12 names. And so it rebalances monthly. And they have a... Uh, a process of looking at how much liquidity trades and on what what uh, exchanges, and so they need to be kind of you know, they have their own de- definition of uh, qualified exchange, but they got to be on qualified exchanges and trade a, a certain amount of uh, volume. Okay, so this news this week about Gemini soon to be trading Zcash and yeah. Bitcoin Cash and stuff, like at that point maybe we would see the weighting of those increase or something. Yes. Okay. Well, if, if the volumes go up in market cap. So it's market cap weighted. Uh, but let, let's say there's a coin that's not in there. If all of a sudden Coinbase and Gemini put that coin in their, into their rotation and the volumes are there and the market cap is there, it'll go right into the index. Okay. And why, why, 12, is, why is 12 the max? I, you know, it was originally 15, and I think they switched it to 12 looking at... Maybe you know, there's so, not enough There's not coins. enough. There's not enough coins right now with substantial market cap. Right. Um, I mean, it's interesting, right? You go down 10 and all of a sudden, you know, you don't have big, big market cap anymore. And, right. and without market cap, you also don't get volume. Right. And so we're still, no, you know, it's so funny. I've been listening to like Nuriel Rubini debate Joe Lubin and I was like, Nuriel, your arguments are all misguided, Part, partly because you're acting like this is a 15-year-old uh, industry, you know, the Ethereum project is three years old. Right. This whole crypto revolution—I mean, maybe you could call it eight years or ten years old—but it really isn't. It's it's a three to five year old baby, right. uh, and we're really early on. Yeah. So, in recent weeks, we've heard that institutional players are entering the space, whether it's the Intercontinental Exchange planning to launch a crypto exchange or Goldman Sachs opening a Bitcoin trading department. What do you think is the significance of these moves? So, the biggest surprise that I've seen in the last six months is that every place I go and I keep getting invited, you know, yesterday I had, I had breakfast with two young, really bright guys from Barclays bank who are now in charge of Barclays crypto, you know, initiatives. Uh, Nomura announced their you know, joint venturing on a, uh, on a custody solution. Um, and so everywhere I've gone, the person I meet with, if it was John Cryan at Deutsche Bank before he left, uh, know so much more about our space than we think they do. Hmm. The chairman of ICE, who runs the New York Stock Exchange, he schooled me on on the plumbing of how this whole system works. Huh. And so people would be uh, mistaken to think the sleeping giants are sleeping giants. They're not sleeping. They haven't, they haven't acted yet, but they are coming. 
And I keep using this expression, the herd is coming, and I am positive the herd is coming. And it's going to have big implications because, you know, listen, even like custody, which I think is the the single biggest piece missing from the institutional, you know, from bringing institutional money in. It's not really the technical parts of custody. We custody it in lots of places. I mean, I was a day one investor in Zappo. I sleep like a baby knowing my Bitcoins are there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Bitco Kingdom Trust is another place that, you know, it's a fine place to custody. I just know having spoken to, you know, the Texas teachers and the Canadian pensions and the the institutional accounts over my entire career that when they're checking their box and they're doing their operational due diligence, something that sounds like BitGo doesn't feel nearly as good as something that's got State Street or Bank of New York or Goldman Sachs or the New York Stock Exchange on it. And so there's an irony in that in some ways, in order to get the institutional money in, the the decentralized world's going to have to go backwards a little bit and you're going to have to have trusted names Right, this is all about distributing trust, but you're going to have to have trusted names in custody. And I would tell you they're coming, and I don't think they're coming individually. I think you're going to see, like Domiris just announced, a consortiums. And so I would bet three to nine months you're going to see major names in a consortium. And we're trying to be part of that process that sets up a, a, a proper custody. And that, I think, would be a big deal. It, it, the moment that gets announced, I think prices double because that allows – you know, the, the, the pension funds want to come in. No one wants to miss the next big thing. Right. And they just, you know, it's a cover your ass, you know, perspective. They, you know, they, they've got big fiduciary responsibility to, you know, their investors and uh, they take it seriously. And so they don't want to be the first guy in. And do you think that even in the long run that these big names from traditional finance will matter? Because I have kind of a theory that right now those names might matter to sort of help grow this industry and get more people in, but that in the long run, it might be more the pure crypto uh, startups that end up having the lead. Certainly, you know, certainly can be. I was looking at uh, when I was leaving uh, Fortress, my own hedge funds, uh, IT budget was like $14 million. And I was going to have less assets. And I was thinking, well, can we cut this way down? And it was really hard to cut the IT budget down to where I wanted it to get cut down. And I know if I walked across the street and started a new company, I could do it for $2 million. <laughs> you know? I was like, why can't I cut it from 14 to – they were like, we can cut it till 11 And I was like, it should be 2 And so the big legacy institutions have a hard time moving. Uh, and so I think you could be right on that. Uh, but I do think, A, they're coming. You know – Exchanges like Bitfinex and Binance, you know, they made $300 million last year on 97% margins. You can't be the head of the NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange or any major exchange player and say, ah, let them have it. It's why Goldman Sachs and Barclays and everyone's charging in. And so what it tells me is the OTC business, which is so uh, profitable right now, places like Cumberland, DRW, you know, uh, Gemini, those spreads are going to come down. Uh, the exchange business, those spreads are going to collapse in, over time. Uh, you know, markets still work. It's not like crypto magic changes the fact that, you know, uh, gravity doesn't exist anymore. And so when there's tons of money to be made, people fill that void quickly. I totally agree with that. And we're going to discuss more on this topic and also some news from Blockchain Week. But first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. 
Element Group is a full-service advisory firm for the digital asset capital markets. Element delivers crypto economics, financing, and strategy advisory services for the industry's leading projects. Element's goal is to focus on clients in an integrative manner by offering all services a crypto-enabled company requires throughout its life cycle, such as corporate finance, asset management, OTC trading, treasury solutions, and technology services. To learn more about Element and receive exclusive research on digital assets, visit www.elementgroup.com unconfirmed. I'm speaking with Mike Novogratz, founder and CEO of Galaxy Digital Capital Management. So actually, let's talk about some of the news from this week, because some of this is relevant to what we're discussing. What did you think of like the Coinbase news or the Circle news or really just, I mean, there's so much news coming yeah, so out of listen, consensus. I, the stable kind coin stuff fascinates me in a little bit you know i've looked at, at tether pretty carefully uh and a i think tether is is legitimate in that there's money there and it works and i like the business model in some ways right if you could in essence it's a deposit taking institution that you know gives you a zero interest rate on it and also charges some fees and so like if rates are three percent and you have two billion dollars worth of uh you know deposits it's a it's a nice you know net interest margin business if of course you can take that cash and deposit it at at, at good interest rates and so it makes sense for banks uh to get into that business or or quasi banks it provides grease if you think about between all these exchanges and so all the people that were making so much money doing the arbitrage you know last october to january it, whoosh, it went away you know, I set up a big business and it was making money every day and then it wasn't. And I think partly that's people got more comfortable with stablecoin, you know, with Tether itself. And there's lots of other things that are going to link all these indices, all this liquidity pools together. And so my guess is the wildly inefficient prices that we saw are going away. The more interesting question, I guess, with the stablecoins is at what point, how big did it have to be? before the authorities say, wait a minute, no, 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 it's too much. Because you can make an argument that they're payments, they're just payment systems, you know, there's, there are payment rails, or you can make an argument that they're trying to hijack monetary policy. And everything's so small right now, places like the Fed or the ECB could care less. Maybe. But if you had a stable coin that wasn't $2 billion but became $100 billion and or, or more, then I think you're going to run into some regulatory, uh, you know, turf wars. Interesting. And so I don't know if I totally follow, meaning that they're going to be sort of sidestepping the central banks in some Well, if you if you had a big enough stable coin, I think the Fed would say, wait a minute, hold on. Wait, you know, are they going to, they're going to think of it more as money. You know, $2 billion is literally a fly on the backside of an elephant. Right. Um, but it's a nice business. And so I just think that's something to watch, but I, I'm a big proponent of it. Of stable coins, and do you? I, we, there's several different models of stable coins. They're the ones that are like fully collateralized, and there's the ones where they're trying you know, to act I like did, a central I bank. I didn't invest in base. Uh, I kind of wish I had, only because they were young Princeton kids, and I'm told they're brilliant engineers. and And I went to Princeton, and so they never got in front of me. Um, I looked at the you know ex post. I looked at the the model, and I still think you know kind of cute and interesting, uh, but the 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 dollar back model just seems a lot cleaner you know right. and easier really at least in the next you know some 
some period of time. I don't see a future. Like Joe Lubin's a good friend of mine, and you know he really does see a, a very different future in 20 years than the one we have today. And I actually think the reality is a much more hybrid world where I don't think we're going to not price things in our local currencies. Uh, and so I think the, the fiat currencies are here for a long time. And that in lots of ways, the, the broader cultural implications of this decentralized crypto revolution are going to be disrupting companies, disrupting systems, as opposed to disrupting uh, central banks and money. And do you think that we'll probably likely see digital dollars and things of that nature? I do, 100%. Listen, we have them. I mean, what's scary to me in some ways is that you look at a place like China that's already got Alipay and WeChat and I don't know what percentage, probably 90-plus percent of financial transactions happen digitally. And then I marry that with how fast AI is getting smart. Uh and it's a dystopian future, right? They are going to have a profile on every single, you know, consumer in in the country really soon. And so, the blockchain should act as a firewall against, you know, this. And you know, there's a little bit of a race. Uh, some data, it's not the end of the world. If you know, it takes it takes a few years because you know the data goes stale. Your spending patterns are. It goes stale after a while. But your DNA, we all licked that little thing and gave it to 23andMe. Now I'm like, damn, they got all our freaking DNA data. Uh, well, I didn't do it. Because you you're smarter than I am. Um, and so well, I, wouldn't say that, but. I think, you know, there's, we're really at an interesting three to five year crux with, the, it really is this, it's these giant silos of data that didn't matter so much before we had AI. Uh, before we had machine learning, before we had the ability to process it. It matters a lot now. And you saw it with, you know, Cambridge Analytics, you know. I mean, I just think of DNA, the, the DNA. Listen, you know, the woman who runs 23andMe, I think I met her once, seems like a wonderfully nice lady, and I hope she's going to do the right things with all that data. But you can come up with a pretty dystopian ending to the, to the uh, you know, i got a wife that's got two, both the, the early Alzheimer genes, you know, okay, that sucks, <laughs> you know. Uh, you could see a world where people say, hey, we can't insure those people. Uh, I mean, that's an easy, it's a, it's a commercially smart thing to say. Mm. And so, you know, we've got to be very careful, I think, in the next few years. Interesting. What other news from the week has caught your interest? So, listen, the, the Coinbase news of, you know, trying to come up with a product that is more uh, institutional friendly, it, that makes sense. It's, I think that's part of the, the, the migration to saying, okay, we're going to move into a, a more industrial, you know, strength version of where we were. Um, right. I don't know if they might, you know, they've got the best brand in lots of ways and in the in the space uh i don't know if from an institutional perspective anyone will want a custody there though like you know custodians are interesting there they want a separation of i mean institutional vessels they want a separation of the person with their money and you know who's doing the transactions and where it's custodian they want someone mm -hmm. else to say no it is actually there not the guy who they're buying or selling with and so i think exchange-based custodianship works for retail but i don't think it works for institutions Oh, that's interesting. I guess the yeah. Now, to be honest, I'm not an expert in plumbing. You know, I've I've spent my career flying at forty thousand feet and trying to 
figure out the big trends. Uh, macro investors are in some ways a mile wide and an inch deep, and plumbers go really deep on the infrastructure. And so I could be wrong on all this, but that's just my, my instinct. Yeah, I just wonder because securing digital assets is different from traditional assets. So I do wonder if it gives the pure crypto players a leg up in that regard because security is that's probably the most important thing when it comes Yeah, but if you think I mean Goldman Sachs is 25% engineers right now. Uh, they have armies of really smart guys that know how to build, you know, and they secure tons of keys already, not necessarily crypto keys, but lots of, you know, uh, the it's the same process of securing signature pages for who gets to move money and and so I I think the we shouldn't uh, underestimate the resources and the and the this the sheer strength that the the big players have. All right, and one other thing you mentioned earlier is that you said the herd is coming. How do you think that is going to play out? Like just you know. Oops slowly in some ways and then you'll hit a tipping point and so we we announce our index that's a good it's a good piece of information i'm sure funds will get set up that track the index at one point um the sales process to get you know texas teachers or you name it the pension fund of virginia or princeton university's endowment into crypto is a longer process than me convincing some guy on the street, you got to buy crypto, let me tell you why. Right. Uh, and so we'll see. I mean, we see, we're seeing positive signs, right? George Soros's group said, okay, we're going to participate. The Rockefeller brothers, we're going to participate. You'll hit a point where there's just a tipping point, and then you'll see the market take off again. And until then, we're just going to go sideways. And I, I, get, I, I keep thinking three to nine months, six months, and a lot depends on custody. Because I think the custody piece still is what's holding people back. And until then, I, I, I don't think the markets have terrible downside. Uh, listen, you've had a hugely enthusiastic week and prices are on higher. That's not a great sign. Um, but when I look at other metrics, people coming into the space, like there's a great graph I had of, of new entrants. And it, Bitcoin goes from 19,000 to 7,000 and kind of back up. But it never, it never pauses. It's a... You know, one directional, lower left to upper right, you know, straight line graph. Uh, the enthusiasm around these conferences. I went to consensus and, you know, there was like a three hour wait to get in. I, I literally had to act like a 15 year old kid and sneak into the movie theater and went up the back staircase because um, I wasn't going to wait for three hours to get in. Right. Um, and so there's still an unbelievable enthusiasm. Big projects are being funded. You know, it's interesting. Telegram and Definity. Yeah. Both have bigger market caps to some degree in terms of what they've raised around their tokens than some of the names in our index, and they haven't even floated yet. Wow! And so there is an excitement around new projects, um, new big and good projects, uh, and that's being funded. You know, what was interesting about Telegram, and I didn't invest it. I'm pissed at myself. I missed it. Uh, we had thought about it improperly and then when I finally had my aha moment it was a little too late uh, though I tried uh, I called Pavel and I was really impressed uh, with him he was a sharp guy and had a real vision um, a lot of that money they raised came from the Silicon Valley world hmm. from real institutions who had kind of missed out on the first wave uh, you know Sand Hill Road missed 
uh, crypto chapter one. Right. And they're not going to miss crypto chapter two. And so in some ways, it's easier for those projects because they have, if they're credible and they have scale, they have this whole world of VC that felt like they missed chapter one and not going to miss chapter two. And, you know, what's interesting about a place like Telegram is you've got a great CEO, you've got a great brother, uh, who the engineering side, they've got 210 million users in their ecosystem already, or, and it's growing. And in a white paper, schmite paper, uh, all this stuff is open source. They want to fork Ethereum from today and start building on it, they could. And so I, I have this thesis that you want to bet on groups that are well capitalized. And they've got $2 billion now in their war chest. It's a little bit why Block One EOS is a real credible threat. They've got a monstrous war chest, $5 billion plus to invest in people, to invest in projects, to build out an ecosystem. And, you know, their pitch and use case is we're going to be ready for enterprise, scalable enterprises before the rest of the blockchains will. Interesting. And and so it's, it, there's a, you know, I don't think you can think you're smart enough to only bet on one of these systems. Right. Or maybe some people are. I'm certainly not smart enough to bet on one of the systems. And so I kind of probability base them. And I think where there's resource, you want to at least put focus. Yeah. Well, Nick Tomeno, one of the organizers of Token Summit, says that projects that raise too much typically fail. So we will see how this all turns out. But it's been great having you on the show. So thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Laura, thanks so much. It's great. And thanks for all you do. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you like this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Elaine Zelby, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.